Today's passage is from Revelation chapter 1, 1 to 18. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this coming June uh, will be my ninth year of pastoring here at Lord's Love. And if you told me from day one that I'm going to be a pastor, uh, let alone a pastor to this congregation when I first walked in in 2002, I would have been like, are you kidding me? No way. No way would I imagine that. And it's kind of ironic in the sense that the person that invited me to church is here uh, today. Uh, if you say hi to Titus L. Young. Uh, he's back from Australia uh, with his fiance, and it's kind of fitting that on this day it kind of comes together as we remember what God has done as uh, 35 years of this English ministry. And it's been such a joy and a privilege to be with this church and at this capacity serving in this way, and I'm excited to see where God's going to bring us as we go into the 35th year as an English ministry. If you don't, have you haven't already, please turn your Bibles to the very last book, uh, the book of Revelation, because we're going to start off this new year with this new series by looking at the end and how things are going to end, and it's going to be good news for all of us. And we're starting a new sermon series today in the book of Revelation, subtitled Future in Focus, because when we see the future and when the focus is in future, it, makes, it helps us to make sense of what's going on right here and right now, and the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He was exiled in an island called Patmos. And it really wasn't about him, though. It's really about what he sees, or what, I rather correct myself, what Jesus allows him to see. This book is so strange. It's so wonderful, but it's so strange and foreign to us. Sometimes it's fascinating, but if we're honest, most of the time it's just plain out scary, right? We're talking about dragons, we're talking about beasts, we're talking about dark times and fire and all these imageries that we're not really used to, but yet it's so important for us. And most of the time, it's not only fascinating, but it's strange. But if we look through the strangeness, we'll see the truth that God has for us today. You'll see, uh, throughout this whole, whole book, we'll see a lot of symbols, like symbols seen through numbers, numbers like 2, 4, 7, 10, and 12, and how they all carry meaning and it helps us understand the completeness of God and his plan for us. 
There's also a lot of quotes to the Old Testament. In fact, there's some 500 quotes to the Old Testament, no, making us, helping us understand that if we were to understand the last book of the Bible, we need to understand all of the books uh, beforehand and what God has said. But ultimately, why is this book so strange to us? Well, because of the genre that is written in. Uh, three genres that the book of Revelation is written in. It's written in the form of a letter. It's written in the form of apoc- apocalyptic uh, that word gets me, I was practicing before this. Apocalyptic uh, literature and also prophecy. But what does that all mean? When we heard, hear words like apocalyptic or we hear words like prophecy, what, what does that re- really mean? Are we just looking through some sort of crystal ball into the future to try to make sense of the present? Or maybe it's kind of like Groundhog's Day, uh, which was last Thursday. This was uh, our Canadian groundhog, Fred LaMarmot. Uh, who sadly, hours before he was supposed to make his debut, passed away, uh, who died. So for those of you that don't know what Groundhog Day is, it's a strange tradition that we have, that the groundhog wakes up from hibernation, and if they see their own shadow, uh, that means there's going to be six more weeks of winter. If they don't see their shadow, that means it's going to be an early spring. If, if the groundhog dies, I'm not sure what that means, okay? So, guys, just hang on. There might be a tough couple months uh, for all of us. But we kind of think of Revelation as this kind of way, like this kind of future prediction. We just look to it and be like, hey, we're going to see what's going to happen in the future, and voila, that's, that's it. But that's not exactly all that's it, uh, all that, that this is about. See, the book, of, uh, the book is, can be written as a letter. It was meant to be written, uh, spoken out loud, as, 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 uh, as John wrote it, it's meant to be proclaimed uh, in, in the churches. And once, I think my brother and I, Duncan, were there, and my mom brought us to a full-on oratorical performance where the woman was, who was presenting memorized the entire book of Revelations. The entire book. And right in front, uh, I was maybe eight at the time. I may have fallen asleep. Uh, I may not have made it past... Uh, 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 chapter 6, uh, where it really got really meaty afterwards, but it's meant to be uh, read out loud. It's meant to be proclaimed. It's meant to be taken and read aloud to the churches and to be heard. And Revelation is also referred to as apocalyptic prophetic kind of literature, so a, a merger of the both of them, meaning that the purpose of this book is to see the present addressed through what the future lens of this book paints and what really is going to happen. And if you read parts of, the script, of Scripture and the Bible before, you would be familiar with apocalyptic literature. You think of books like Daniel, like Ezekiel, like Zechariah. And apocalyptic literature has a lot to do with visions, with seeing. Whereas prophetic literature has a lot to do with proclaiming, preaching, speaking out the words of God. So Revelation's a little bit of both. It's apocalyptic-prophetic. In this series, I hope, hope I'm priming your appetite a little bit. The series, because it's, it's going to take us to the summer months. In the beginning, we're like, hey, as a team, like, let's just preach through the book of Revelations in 12 weeks, like a bing, bam, boom, done deal. But as we're reading through it, we're like, no, there's way too much in here. There is, there is a word for us as a church right here, right now, as, pro, as we read through this word, to maybe break through some of our apathy, to really revive our hearts, to restore our first love, whatever language you want to use. That's our prayer here as we go through this book. And that here at Lord's Love, our commitment is to preach and to teach through the Word of God. And I believe firmly that this year that we just need to spend time with God in the Word together as a church. So my prayer for this whole series isn't that, that's cool, Doug. 
You know, that's amazing imagery. That's good. Uh, I learned something. But as we go into our 35th year as English ministry, my prayer is that we'll see Jesus as he would want us to see him. That we'll see Jesus more clearly. That through this series, our hearts will burn afresh. We'll be revived with this unquenchable desire to live our lives for Christ and the gospel wherever it is that he calls us into, whether it's across the world, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our workplaces and in our schools, wherever it is that we'll go forth every single week as we dive into God's word together to do something amazing for him. And the big idea for this morning is this, seeing Jesus clearly is seeing life clearly. That when we have Jesus in focus, our lives end up being in focus as well. After all, Jesus, he's what? He's the the word who's been made flesh, who dwelt among us, who walked with us, that showed us really the full revelation of God. And seeing, it's it's so important for us. This week, I came across an article about uh, Kevin uh, Berthia. This is a picture of him in the white shirt in 2005. He was a new father, just 22 years old at that time. His daughter was born prematurely, and he ended up racking up in a few short months $250,000 of debt from medical bills. And at that moment, he decided that he couldn't take the pressure anymore and anxiety anymore, so he walked to Golden State, uh, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and went over the ledge to end his life. But at that moment, there was a patrol officer that went by by the name of Kevin Briggs who was talking to him right then and there talked with him for 92 minutes as, he hang, as, as Kevin was hanging off the side of that bridge. And he says this in hindsight, we talked for 92 minutes about everything that I was dealing with. My daughter, her first birthday was the next month. And he says this to the patrol officer, and you made me see that if nothing else, I need to live for her. Seeing is important. How we see life is important. What we focus on is important for us. Since then, Kevin, he's organized a suicide prevention organization that helps those wrestling with their anxiety, depression, and with other struggles in life. And from then on, he had a new, fresh perspective on life. Revelation helps us to see clearer helps us to see this life clear. Written around 96 AD, it was a dangerous time to be a Christian. Roman Emperor Domitian was in power and he was ruthless. He made the kingdom all about him. He was in history written as one of the most narcissistic emperors in the world. He made people bow down to him, statues everywhere, made them worship him. It doesn't matter what religion you ascribe to, as long as every single day at a certain time you worship him and bow down, then everything is okay. But even so, the greatest danger to the first century church, as we'll see in the the book of John, really was never persecution. It was never pain. It was never death. The greatest threat to the first century church was actually spiritual complacency. Even with everything going on, all the pain and death that's going on, John doesn't really address that too much. He's actually addressing spiritual complacency. As New Testament scholar Heinz Giesen writes, the danger is not martyrdom, but attraction to the pagan world. Attraction to the pagan world. And too many Christians, and I feel this temptation as well, have gotten cozy with the ways of the world. And so this book calls us, calls them, any person that says they follow Yahweh to choose allegiance to Christ instead of the ways of the world. 
Because back then, the threat to the Christian faith was this, assimilation to Roman culture. Number two was conflict in the church between Jews and Gentiles. And number three, complacency due to, uh, due to prosperity. This was true in 96 AD, and I believe that's true for us here in 2023, because doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound so familiar for us? This kind of complacency, this, this attraction, this ways of the world, the temptations that we have. The four points for us here today. Firstly, when we see Jesus clearly, we'll testify about Jesus. When we see Jesus clearly, we'll take what he says seriously. Thirdly, when we see Jesus clearly, we know God is still in control. And fourthly, when, Jesus, when we see Jesus clearly, we clearly see everything in life through Jesus. First point, when we see Jesus clearly, we'll testify about Jesus. We read this right in the very beginning. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies. Highlight that word. You have your Bible, circle it. Who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. There it is, right in the very beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypses, as the Greek word is, where we get the word apocalypse from. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And you're like, whoa, there we go. Doom and gloom right away, <laughs> right off the very beginning. But... The first century understanding of this word apocalypse simply means unveiling. The apocalypse, the revelation, the unveiling from Jesus Christ. As Dale Johnson uses, he uses the word disclosure here, which conjures up this image of ripping the cover off of something or taking the lid off of something to look inside. So that's what Jesus is doing, ripping the box off, tearing the cover off of something so that we can see more clearly. And Darrow Johnson in his book goes on to explain how the book of Revelation, there's actually seven windows that, that, he, that, that John wants the church to see Jesus through. Seven windows, which we're going to go through in the rest of Revelation. So see, you see, though John, he's deemed the author, the real author is Jesus. The real author is Jesus, and he is the one that's doing the unveiling. In this passage, what do we see? What is Jesus unveiling? He's unveiling what soon must take place. Namely, the hidden reality of God's sovereign control of the future, of how he is going to bring an end to the seeming success of the forces of evil in the present age. That the forces that are in control, that are in power at this moment, the time will pass. And how does he unveil this truth? Fascinating. God, he gave it to Jesus. Read the word carefully. He gave it to Jesus, and then Jesus gave it to the angels, and then they gave it to John. And what did John do? John wrote it down for the churches. I love that if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, because as a disciple, we're also servants of Jesus Christ. John is a servant, and his main task as a servant is to take what's been given to him and what he's seen and to testify what he saw. Because the word for testify here in Greek is martus, which may sound familiar to another word, martyr. Martyr. The word here for testify is martyr. And the word martyr simply means to witness, to be a witness of something that they saw. And this ought to hit us hard today because the tr truth is this morning is that you can't be a witness if you didn't see anything. Just let that percolate a little bit. If you can't be a witness to something if you didn't see anything. Last fall, I got a chance 
to serve as a juror on, in a trial, and they called witness after witness, witness after witness, 29 witnesses. There were regular witnesses like maybe you and I that, go, uh, that live out our, da- our daily lives, and you see certain things that happen, a crime that took place, so you'd be a witness. And then there were expert witnesses, blood pattern uh, analysis, footprint analysis, analysis of clothing, all sorts of witnesses that saw something in the evidence. See, you can't be, and, and one, after one by one, we heard what they saw, and we pieced things together. You can't be a witness if you haven't seen something. And the same here for us here today. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christ, uh, we, we love God, we follow Christ, and we live out our lives for him, we can't be a witness if we haven't yet seen Jesus We can't be a witness if we haven't seen Jesus. And dare I say that some of us can't be witnesses and we can't testify or give testimony to who Jesus is because simply we haven't met him. Simply we haven't seen him at work. Simply we haven't actually seen uh, him do the miracles that he says he does in life. We haven't seen him at work in our own personal lives. But there in that warning is also a good news. The good news is that Jesus, he wants to meet with you. He's been wanting to walk alongside of you. He's been waving his arms saying, here I am. I'm at the door, which we'll read later. Will you meet with me? The question isn't so much of whether Jesus wants to meet with you, but whether you want to meet with Jesus today and throughout this entire series. Because seeing Jesus clearly is seeing life clearly. And when we see Jesus clearly and we see him and his acts and how he is, we can't help but testify like John did. We can't help but be a witness and to say and to explain and share with people what Jesus is doing. And as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, what does John testify or witness to? Two simple things. The word of God in verse 2 and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Two simple things. He witnesses, he testifies, he shares the word of God, and he explains the testimony of Jesus, the story of Jesus what Jesus has done. Two simple things. And that forms a formula for us to be a faithful witness for Jesus, that if we're in the word of God and we share what Jesus is doing in our lives and all around our churches and in our community, then we will be doing well. Then we are being faithful to him. So seeing Jesus clearly, seeing life clearly. And when we see Jesus clearly, we'll take what he says seriously. Verse Three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, what do we mean here by seriously? And maybe it's those parts about uh, when we take God's word seriously and what he says seriously, maybe your mind goes to loving your enemy. Maybe it's caring for the poor, being on mission, and telling the world about Jesus. And I think that's all true. But I believe that's actually the end product. That's the, that's, the, that's the practical implications of our own faith, of our relationship with Jesus. Because some of us, what's really our attitude? How seriously, seriously do we take Jesus in our own heart, in our own lives, deep down within us, our attitude? What's our attitude when we come before God? Whether it's during a Sunday service or when the first note is played during, uh, when we worship God through song, Whenever we open the word, whenever we pray, whenever we come together as a church and community, what's our attitude? What's our heart towards God? Do we take those moments seriously? And by seriously, I don't mean drab. Uh, Is that the word? Yeah, like, you know, I'm sad and like, you know, no facial expression. I'm talking about the inner heart working. 
a posture towards God. In verse 3 here is one of seven beatitudes found in Revelation. Seven beatitudes, seven blessings, seven makarios. Uh, blessed are those, happy are those who do these things. And or the, the two types of people that are blessed here are those that read aloud the words of the prophecy and those who hear it. And it's quite straightforward here. The hearers have two more characteristics if they are to be blessed. Not only are they to hear it, they're also to keep it. To keep it. Uh, to take it to the heart and to live it out seriously. That's the translation there. And you see this theme of hearing and obeying are frequently put together in the Bible. The disciples, they heard Jesus call them. So what? They followed him like a lot of, a lot of passages we see in Luke and all throughout the Gospels. This kind of listening and obeying really speaks to what Christian perseverance is all about. What is perseverance all about? It's biblical perseverance. It's just about keeping God's instructions. Keeping God's instructions, the call of your life to take that seriously. And the seriousness is tied with urgency. There's really an urgency here because the time is near. The time is near. We read it here in the second part of verse 3, but we also read it back in verse 1 where it says, what soon must take place? Right in the very beginning, there's this urgency that John has, that the time is near, it's coming. Don't, don't be laid back, don't sit back, but the time is near for you to act and to take your faith seriously because the Lord is returning. So there's an understanding of nearness of God to our current situation, to our urgency and how we live out. I'm a person that lives with deadlines. If you told me my assignment is due tomorrow, I'm going to pull an all-nighter right tonight. If you told me, anyone else with me, it's due in three months, what's going to happen? The night before still, for me, as a procrastinator. But here, he's saying it doesn't matter whether it's tomorrow or later, and three months later, the time is now because Jesus is coming soon, and no one really knows when and where and how. But our heart posture, there ought to be an urgency right then right here and now, to work out our faith. Work out our faith in fear and trembling before this God. So the question I have here from the second point is simply, where is our urgency as a church? Where is our urgency to bring the gospel to the ends of the world? Where is our urgency to bring our family and friends who don't know yet, that don't yet know Jesus so that they can hear of the good news? Where is the urgency for us to say every single day, I got to get into the word. I got to pray because there's not a time to waste. I need to grow in my maturity. I need to grow in my faith with God and in God. Because I dare argue here as we read through Revelations that whatever it is you feel urgently about right now that's not of God, is it really going to matter in the end? Is it really going to matter in the end? We were just talking about that in our, 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 our Bible study and community learning this morning. And I don't, I don't want to take, make light of your problem or your struggle. I'm not putting down your issues, but I'm trying to raise up and magnify Christ, magnify Christ in light of your struggle, in light of your pain. Because at the end of the day, whatever the problem is, whatever the issue, whatever your concern, whatever the, the pressures you're feeling in your job or that degree you're trying to work for or whatever uh, goals you're trying to accomplish in your work, in your business, that game that consumes you every single day that you got to just get home and play, whatever it is, is it really going to matter when you're before Jesus one day? Again, hear me well. I don't have this fatalistic view that nothing in life really matters, so YOLO. 
just do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the book of Revelation is calling us to measure what we see right now in light of eternity. That we, it helps us to get a better glimpse of what really is going on in this universe. These problems come when we think this is life is it. Or when we think we're, all we have is in this life, we have all the time in the world, but when we see Revelation properly and see Jesus properly, when he's in focus and we see him clearly, we take him and his word seriously. Because as, some, uh, as an article I read this week said, with all the technology we have, we save so much time in this generation, but we also waste so much time because of the time that we've saved. That we're not making the proper use of the time that we've had. So what if we took what Jesus says seriously right to the heart? Maybe we would think, we would think we don't have time to not believe. We don't have time not to believe. We don't have time for, we don't have time for anything else but of God. I don't have time not to serve. I don't have time not to read the Bible. I don't have time not to pray, not to do the things that, not to love the ones that God calls me to love, not to do things well and to do with excellence. I don't have time for anything else but that because that's what God calls me to do and that's what he has me to focus on. And seeing Jesus clearly is seeing life clearly. If you're sick of me saying that, I'm going to keep saying it. Because when we see Jesus clearly, we take what he says seriously. Thirdly, when we see Jesus clearly, we know God is still in control. Verse 4, John, to seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So this letter, if it hasn't been clear for us, was written by the Apostle John. Then we see it's written to the seven churches, and you'll see again throughout the whole, uh, the whole letter that seven represents complete, completion, fullness, wholeness. And Pastor Howard is going to preach on the first of the seven churches next week on the church of Ephesus. And even as Revelation was written to the seven real churches, since the seven represent the wholeness, completeness, is really written to all of us, to all of us that have ears, let us hear. My question for you is that if we truly knew, if we truly believed that God is in control, how would we live differently today? If we truly believe God is in control, how will we live differently today? And maybe if we truly knew God is in control, we will live with less fear. We will live without the fear of failure, which stops us short of God, our God-given potential. Or maybe the fear of what the other person would think, or maybe fear of not fitting into the world. So, so maybe we freeze up or we try too hard to prove ourselves to the world. But here, in light of all of these fears, we come before our God, who was this. I'm not sure if I have the verse up there. Verse in verse 4, who is and who was and who is to come. In verse 4, who is and who was and who is to come. A paraphrase, really, of who Yahweh says he is in Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am. That's a summary, a paraphrase of I am who I am. But what else do you notice about this verse, this phrase, though, of who is and who was and who is to come. 
for those of us, maybe that spend a little bit more time in Scripture or have heard this before, you'll notice that in the traditional ways of the church, in our proclamations, which is later on in Revelations as well, that this is actually out of order. Did John make a mistake? That this is out of order? Like, because traditionally, it usually is who was, who is, and who is to come. But here, John is deliberate to say who is, and who was, and who is to come. Why? Why does this happen? Well, perhaps John, who's exiled on Patmos again, and he was sent there. I never explained this before. He was sent there because they couldn't stop him from preaching, from testifying about Jesus. So they're like, we're going to lock him up on an island somewhere to keep him quiet. So then he wrote a letter, and the whole world knew about it uh, afterwards. <laughs> so he was sent there because they couldn't stop him from preaching about Jesus. As Tertullian, the theologian and historian in the early church, he records for us, John, to keep him silent, they plunged him in oil, but he didn't die. In boiling oil, but he didn't die. They tried to poison him, which he didn't die again. So they're like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> so send you off and lock you up. So imagine John in, this, in the, his own cell, in his old age, body failing, little to show for in his faith, trapped on this island as Pastor Kim last week preached only to stare out into the chaos of the sea. Imagine yourself in that situation. Even though that was the case, yet his faith is al as, as alive as ever. Is alive as, as ever it ever was. Why? Because John saw things differently. John saw things differently. He didn't see his situation. He didn't see the, the cage that he's in. He didn't see the island that he's trapped on. His eyes, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. His eyes were fixed on his Christ, his Lord, his Messiah. His eyes were seeing chaos all around him, but his soul knew who is in control. His eyes saw something different, but his soul knew ultimately who is in control. And he tells these churches that God is still in control of the present. Who is? Who is? God is. Right now, he is. He tells the church that he is, also, he is still in control. The focus that God is still here and with us, even though it doesn't seem like it, even though everything in the world seems like it's going haywire, God is still with us. And we can have this deep hope stemming from the source of grace and peace, this Trinitarian theology that we see right here from him who is and who was, who is to come, referring to God, from the seven spirits before his throne, emphasizing the Spirit's perfect work in his church. And from Jesus Christ, who is the most faithful, he is the most faithful witness that there ever was and is. What John wants the readers and hearers to know is that they already inhabit, no matter your position here on earth, they as a believer already inhabit a high position with Christ before God. That your reality here isn't actually your reality. Your spiritual reality is your reality before God. You already have a high position with God. Other things in the world may seem like they're in control, but ultimately Jesus, he is in control. And the soul and the person who sees Jesus clearly sees that God is ultimately in control. Lastly, when we see Jesus clearly, we see everything in life through Jesus. Another way to frame this is where you look is the direction that your heart goes. Remember when I first started learning to drive 
and maybe you remember this, when you had your L, had my instructor, actually no, before that, my mom sent me to an instructor because I had one lesson with my mother and it terrified her. Uh, when Oak Ridge was still alive, uh, when Oak Ridge Center Mall was still alive, so around, she took me to the mall and drove and it was just half an hour of screaming and then we're like, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, send you to an instructor, but what was early temptation? When you shoulder check, what happens to your hands? <laughs> so my mom would scream, rightly. And in the same way, uh, for us, where our heart goes, the eyes of our heart goes, there's where we turn. That's where we lean towards. That's the direction that we go in. We end this morning by reading verses 7 to 8. Look, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Look, behold, see, he is coming with the clouds. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, which is why in two weeks' time we're starting a Bible study on the book of Daniel to be read and studied together with the Revelation series. So come on out to that. But look, behold, is used 26 times in the book of Revelation, and it's the idea to pay attention, to listen carefully. This is to say what we look to, what we pay attention to, that's where our hearts are going to lean towards. And I pray with all my heart that as a church, our eyes will be fixed not on the ways of the world, but on Jesus, that we will live faithfully and wholeheartedly for him, as it says in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This year, as a church, if we do nothing else, let us fix our eyes on Christ. And I believe the actions and everything else will follow. Not only on, we don't fixate on strategy, we don't fixate on programs, we fixate our hearts on people and on Christ. And he'll lead us in the direction that he calls us into. Because I believe with all my heart that Jesus is more able than any of us can uh, combined. Notice all the titles in this passage for Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega. He's Lord, meaning he's, uh, he's over all things. He's God who is, who was, and who is to come. He's the Almighty One, the one that all, he has all the strength to do all things. Quick explanation here as I come to the end. The Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega are the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet, if that's unfamiliar to you. So not only is he in control of the beginning, He's in, not only is he in control of the end, but he's in control of all things. That's a an, that's an way of saying back then of everything in between he's also in control of. He's not only in control of the past and the future, but he's also in control of everything in between, that God is sovereign over all history and the lowest points of time to the highest points as well. He is, and he was, who he is to come for the second time. Meaning God holds all things together. The point here is, isn't to say that that's good, Doug. That's cool. That's amazing. Good message. 
The hope and prayer this morning is that we will leave here with a little bit more awe of God, a fear of who he is, and to see him rightly, to see him clearly. So LLC, is Jesus in focus for you? Because the ingredients to a faithful life is pretty straightforward. Are you praying? Are you seeking him in that way? Are you reading the word? Are you in community? Are you surrounded by people that are pursuing, fixing their eyes on Jesus together? Where is your urgency? What's most urgent in your life right now? What's your focus on at the moment? Have you really met Jesus? And if so, how are you witnessing for him? How are you living out your life for him today? You might not have an answer for all these questions, and that's okay, because we discovered that together. But church, if these questions keep convicting us, I believe that God's going to do great things through us this year as he keeps us aligned. Father, we thank you for who you are, that God, even though you're the one who is and who was and who is to come, you're the Almighty, In you, in your palm of your hands, you hold all things, yet you know us. So, Father, at this moment, we come before your throne in fear and in trembling, in awe of who you are, that we can speak directly in this way to the God of the universe who made all things without boundaries, without separation, God, that we can speak to you, we can dare speak to you in this way. So, Father, through this series, I pray that you would help us to see you clearly, that our church, God, you would revive our hearts, revive our ways, that we, Lord, will fix our eyes on you alone, and that we'll live lives that are glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.